many today who who believe in God, these are these are those who hold some sense of religion and an understanding that God exists and uh, try to serve Him, are perplexed by the ills of the world that we live in today, and it just seems to keep getting worse. You, this year, 2020, is a monumental year for things that have happened that we just could not have even planned for. But it, it, they all express the uh, the frustration of humanity with the world they have built. Questions like, if God is all-knowing, doesn't he see what's going on? If God is good, why does he overlook so much evil that's happening on the planet today? If God is love, why does he allow so much suffering and death? And if God is almighty, why, why don't we see his powerful intervention to help humanity? Well, those who doubt God use questions like these to justify completely denying him, not having answers to any of those questions. Those who know God and his will, though, learn to trust in his wisdom. Humans would look at this planet now and say, what wisdom is God using now to help humanity? Can't see how he may be intervening or not or why and not understand what he's doing. Did he wisely plan this process? Because from the perspective of most humans, it doesn't look very wise. Um, There is a profound wisdom in how God achieves his will, but it escapes those to whom he has not revealed it. For the past month or so, we've been examining the mysteries of God. Uh, This one is the fourth in that series, of which I told you we'll probably be going through at least 14 or 15. And one of those, as we'll read in a moment, is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God escapes many. Today we'll be continuing in that review of those mysteries by examining that. Now, we've previously seen how important God's mysteries are to those he has revealed them. The very lives of his elect are defined and set apart by his revealed mysteries. Once we understand them and know them, they have implications of how we are supposed to live, how we're supposed to respond to them. And that tends to set us apart from those who do not know them, don't seek them, don't understand them. We then learn that God only reveals who he is to those that are led by his Holy Spirit to love and emulate him in his truth, the words of Scripture. That's another way that we indeed are separated. All those who live by his word are set apart from those who do not. We also learned that God's will is only revealed to those that live in respect of his plan for humanity, as it is outlined by his Sabbaths and holy days. Once you get the big picture of what he's trying to do here and will achieve all every other aspect of what he's doing will tie into that overall goal and the more we practice those holy days and his sabbaths the more we involve ourselves in them and immerse ourselves in them the more we understand them without doing them without practicing them they are very difficult to understand and accept they change us as we keep them Today, again, we'll review the mystery of the wisdom of God. What makes God's wisdom a mystery in this age? And what is it that reveals God's wisdom in this age? 
I wanted to do a kind of summary of here how we define wisdom. And I, I've got a pretty tight definition here, taking most of this from comments I've read in Webster's and uh, uh, thesaurus.com. But I'll read this slowly, and I'll highlight certain areas of this, because wisdom is one of those elusive concepts, hard to define, uh, and it, it, it's defined very differently by many. Suffice to say, with respect to how the scriptures represent wisdom and how humanity understands wisdom, it's very much the same, but it's oddly, weirdly, very, very different in application. I'll explain that in a moment. Wisdom has been defined as exceptional scale of insight, great perception, soundness of judgment, both of those Scale of insight and soundness of judgment as a quality of mind or quality of character. It's not just a matter of being intellectual or being very smart. There's a sense of application of knowing how to apply oneself with that insight and judgment, and it becomes part of one's very thinking process and their character. It results from extensive experience, We all recognize and understand that, but we also still have a difficult time honoring or respecting the elderly and their experience in our culture. It's getting worse and worse. It results from extensive experience and learning in life that just comes from time and effort uh, of great depth of thought and great depth of understanding and learning. Certainly it's knowledge-based, but it also has to do with how one applies oneself. It becomes part of one's nature. And you're usually drawn to people like that because they can give you insight, experience, understanding. We look, seek counsel from them uh, because they've seen more things than we've done. They've evaluated things more deeply than we've had. They've had more time with it than we have. That, in essence, is a condensed definition of wisdom. I'll, I'll read them all together now. Uh, exceptional scale of insight and soundness of judgment as a quality of mind or character resulting from extensive experience and learning in life that nurtures great depth of thought and understanding. Now, as I mentioned earlier, God in, in, in his word and man would define it the same way, but in application it's very, very different. Human wisdom is limited within the very narrow window of a temporary life and the shallow disposition of our physical existence. What we can know, what we can understand, what we can apply is limited by our very nature. But God's wisdom flourishes in the boundless ability of his eternal mind and his everlasting spiritual experience. No beginning, no end. Always has been, always will. Those limitations are not there that we face in the flesh. And that creates a huge gulf between how we apply wisdom and how humans even can begin to understand it. This divergence, call it that if you will, prevents humanity from knowing and appreciating God's wisdom apart from his intervention. So it has to be revealed. There has to be a connection with God to understand wisdom at God's level. And and, and absent of that, understanding what he's doing now or why, why it has to be that way, is very, very difficult for humans to understand. This is expounded on by the Apostle Paul. Turn with me, please, to uh, 
1 Corinthians 2. I mentioned this uh, the last time, probably all four times. I'll probably have to stop mentioning it at some point. But we're reading through some of the same scriptures that we've gone through in the past four, uh, three messages. Uh, but in different contexts, they, they bring out a different light, a different understanding of, of those scriptures. Let's begin reading first verses 1 through 5 here in 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, keep, keep in mind here, Paul is addressing a division and some of the more childish things that the Corinthian church was doing and not understanding what it meant to mature as a Christian, mature in a relationship with God and with one another. Thus, divisions and schisms were being caused. Verse 1 again in chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I know this of our speakers, and I know it of myself. I pray that God would give me eloquence here uh, to relate what he wants you to understand from his scriptures. But largely, the connection there is spiritual. God's spirit in you, working with you in your mind to understand, and God's spirit working through my mind in that vocal connection that we are all hearing. I pray that he will enable us all to hear uh, as the speakers are inspired to speak by his spirit. Verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. This is one of God's apostles speaking. And and, and Paul could be very strong with what he wrote. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that those who are in the Spirit would recognize. Verse 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The church in Corinth was attributing the wisdom of God that Paul was speaking, or that Apollos was speaking, or that anyone would speak, uh, to the human tools that God was using to reveal it. And Paul wanted them to understand. He wanted them to discern. No, this is not about the man giving it. It's about the word itself. Now, verse 6. We'll read verses 6 through 10. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Not all could understand that. And not all do. It has to be practiced and applied. It has to be matured in. Not just learned. It's not just read or understood as knowledge only. There's an application involved that matures us in understanding and applying that wisdom. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Mysterion, like we, that's the Greek word it's translated from. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. It's a reason it's hidden. There's also a reason it's revealed. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Note, for whom they are prepared those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, always through his spirit, not the eloquence of speakers, uh, not the beautiful phrasing 
or artistry and presentation that someone may have. They are revealed through his spirit in the speaker and in the listener. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Look at verse 14 here. About talking about the natural man or the fleshly minded man, the carnal man, carnal thinker. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. One could sit here listening to this, not hear the voice of Christ in the speaker because they're not tuned into the voice of Christ in their own mind. And for those who might see this message as incredibly valuable, there would be others sitting here at the same time and they would go, what? <laughs> I don't get this. Why? It takes a process of practically applying it to mature in it to understand the deep things of God. We could skip on the surface and just repeat the same scriptures over and over, but to go deeply into them takes a sense of spiritual maturity that only comes with practical application of the very wisdom we'll be talking about here, God's wisdom. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. In uh, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, Solomon uh, expresses his frustration that he can't know the plan of God from beginning to end. And Solomon was blessed by God with the gift of wisdom. But is it the same thing? What Solomon applied in his life, what he did, in all of the things that he did that failed God, and the kingship, and the family, and Israel, and God's word, shows that he did not have that spiritual understanding of the wisdom of God. He could understand wisdom with respect to how men interact, but there was something missing there. And you read that frustration throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. At, a, at the end, when he comes down to all things are about obeying God, you, you, you kind of think and want to believe that maybe he did have some amazing transformation at the end, but... All through there, he's expressing how frustrating it is to seek one's purpose, one's being, the plan of God just within the wisdom of men. Uh, Paul understood that the wisdom of God functions on a much higher level than the wisdom of humanity. As Solomon did as well, but Solomon was viewing it from under the sun. And Paul had been given the ability to view it from above the sun. The deep things of God draw those who strive to emulate him, but seem foolish to those who do not. The patriarch Job understood this as well. Go back to Job here, Job chapter 11. I, I love the way he phrases this. Uh, Job 11 will read verses 7 through 12. You know, when I got an illness or a headache, my patience gets really short and I... Nothing matters to me. I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to get through this. And if I'm forced to talk or express things, it comes out a bit jaded. You may think that happens to me even when I'm not sick. But um, I get pretty even more cynical when I get sick. Job 11, verse 7. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do deeper than Sheol or the grave? What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he passes by, imprisons, and gathers to judgment, then who can hinder him? 
for he knows deceitful men, or he knows deceitful men. He sees wickedness also. Will he not then consider it? For an empty-headed man will be wise when a wild donkey's colt is born a man. (laughs) I just find that funny. Understanding God's wisdom requires one appointed to teach it. I mean, we, we read about this with respect to understanding the gospel in Romans 10, verse 14. Paul says, how can they understand unless there's not a preacher sent to them? The same concept applies to God's wisdom. It requires one appointed by God to teach it, but it also requires one elected by God to hear it. As with the preaching and understanding of the gospel, as I said, God's wisdom is only revealed when God's spirit empowers the teaching and the hearing to receive it and practice it. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 here now. I mentioned before that Ephesians, Colossians have a lot of references uh, to this concept of mysterion or the mystery. Let's read verses 8 through 12 here of Ephesians 3. Paul writes, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace, this understanding of these mysteries and the ability to teach them, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of of Christ. Note here that though Paul was the most highly educated of the apostles, he considered himself least of all the saints. See, knowing the unsearchable riches of Christ is not a matter of intellect, which he had. It's a matter of character. It's a matter matter of what choices we make When God opens our mind, understanding the implications of that revelation. Verse 9 now, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Note that there is a fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ. As we read in Hebrews 1, verse 2. We recognize in this verse that those who share in the revelation of God's mysteries, his mysterion, are a very unique and very intimate community. And as Christ said, it's small in this age. His flock is small. Apart from the leadership of God's eternal spirit residing within one to understand uh, and to understand by reading, studying, and applying his timeless truth, one can't be a part of this fellowship. It's something that we who have been given an understanding of those mysteries or the opportunity to understand them and apply them must understand about what God is doing in this age. It's part of his wisdom that there are stages in this, this just being the first. Verse 10 to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Recognize this verse as to whom is revealing God's wisdom and to whom that wisdom is being revealed. The word manifold here is translated from the Greek word polopoikilos. I have to spell that. P O L. U-P-O-I-K-I-L-O-S. Palupoikilos. 
It means to be multifaceted, uh, greatly diverse, and immensely varied in a way just human, it escapes human beings. Barnes Notes describes God's wisdom as the ever-changing beauty of clouds when the sun reflects on them at evening, when the sun is going down. I'll just quote this from Barnes Notes. One bright cloud differs in appearance from others, yet all tend to fill the mind with elevated views of God. As a description of God's wisdom and understanding how deep it is, how uh, unsearchable it is, it's important to note here again that God's elect will confirm his wisdom as we reveal his nature. It's what his purpose is, right? We review that in his will. We review that in his plan. That he wants humanity part of his eternal spiritual family. But to do that, he's got to help us within our own free moral agency develop holy righteous character. We've reviewed that a number of times. And as we do, as we reveal his nature, the heavenly host is amazed that God is recreating himself in us. You know, in the times of our worst behavior throughout human history, and even individually when we stumble and fall in this age, it has been very difficult for the host of heaven to see God's wisdom in this. I've done some really stupid things, and I can imagine the angels that are watching me are going, really? You're, you're going to recreate yourself in this guy? <laughs> okay. Do they, does that the wisdom of that plan escape them like it escapes some of us uh, on the earth today? Here's the thing, and this is what Paul is talking about, and we'll get this even more into when we do part five here in the mystery of Jesus Christ. Jesus' life, his sinless life, proved that God's spirit triumphs over flesh. Do you believe that? If you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that his blood washed away all of your fault and he paid your penalty for you so you can have this opportunity to have a relationship with God and be part of his family. The, the, the bottom line truth is God's spirit triumphs over flesh. And it will prove in us, God's spirit in us, that temporary flesh and blood images of God can be transformed into eternal spiritual God beings. Now, this may have been what convinced Satan to tempt Christ, thinking flesh could somehow obstruct God's spirit. But the life of Christ, how he lived, what he did, how he lives to this day in us, uh, proved that wrong. Now, verses 11 and 12 here. Back in Ephesians 3, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ, note this phrase, as we go through all 14 of these, we're going to see this phrase, in him or in Christ. Uh, He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So it is in Christ Jesus, in Christ, that all those led by his spirit have confidence that God will complete what he began in us. That's our confidence in his word when he said that. Philippians 1 verse 6, he will complete what he began in us. That should be one of the most encouraging scriptures we can read for those who have chosen 
this path by God's invitation. Go back to 1 Corinthians 1 now. Again, consider the context here. He's correcting them for the divisions that had resulted because they believed this wisdom was just in a, in a certain man, Apollos, Paul, whomever. Verses 18 through 31 we'll read here. And, and, and under as we read through this, and two references in this, we'll see where this wisdom in us comes from, where God's wisdom in us belongs. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So human beings look at this and go, this is foolishness. This doesn't make any sense at all in respect of temporary, physically minded human condition can't grasp uh, the plan or the wisdom in the plan. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. It's going to show them that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. You'll say that in a moment here. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God uh, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews require a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. This is not... This is not an intellectual discussion. This is a realization of the love of God in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to which those whose minds are being opened by God are drawn to, who seek to understand more deeply. Verse 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, Notice how those two are combined. The power of God and the wisdom of God combined in Christ and what he was able to do to open that door for those he's calling in this age and all he will call afterwards. Verse 25, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Christ became wisdom for us. Now, we can intellectually study the entire life of Christ from the Scriptures. We can scholastically learn beyond that and all that's been written about Him. But we will not know God, His will, or His wisdom unless Christ resides within us. For God's wisdom to reside within us, Christ must reside within us. Christians understand 
God's wisdom in Christ, by his teaching, by Christ's example, by his work, and by his authority. Not by our own human research or our own human reasoning, reasoning, and no matter how eloquent we think we can be or how intelligent we think we can be, if that is simply limited within the temporary construct of where we live now, we will not understand God's wisdom. God's wisdom is only recognized and understood by those who value it enough to live by it. Let's look at Matthew 11 here. Matthew 11, it's a a very emotional chapter. John the Baptist is in prison. And even though he recognized who Jesus was when he baptized him and was confident of that, prison can do this to you. I mean, uh, being persecuted, isolated and alone, uh, that's sometimes when the greatest temptations and attacks of Satan uh, come upon us. And he sends messengers out uh, in, in verses 1 through uh, 11 a year or so to ask Jesus Christ, was he the one to come? And what Christ does is he reminds him of all the prophecies. Verse 5, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You can go to Isaiah and find all of those references in the prophecies of Christ. And he's doing this because he's sensing the desperation that's in John, uh, probably very close to uh, his death as well. Um, Let's begin reading here, though, in verse 16, and we'll read through verse 19. He's speaking now to those who heard John, saw John, but did not attribute to John the wisdom of God. He says this, verse 16, But to what shall I liken this generation? It is like children, the immature, sitting in the marketplace and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned you and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. So human reasoning goes from one extreme to the other because it can't see the, the, the wisdom in what John was doing. So all they could focus on was the fact that he wasn't eating or drinking. He's a nut. He's a goofball. He lives out in the desert. He's wearing camel skins. He eats locusts. Why should we listen to a guy like this? Why would God's wisdom come through a guy like this? Then verse 19, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Because they couldn't see the wisdom of God in Christ's commission either, or in how he fulfilled it. We do. That is a special treasure, brethren, to understand that mystery. What does it say at the end? But wisdom is justified by her children. Wisdom referenced here as a, in a female sense, as Solomon did in Proverbs Wisdom is justified by all her children. So what what are the offspring of recognizing that that wisdom? Like faith, true wisdom shows itself by its works in how one responds to what one sees, what God reveals to them. The fleshly mind sees God's wisdom as foolish, but the spiritually inspired mind is drawn to live by it 
and bear its fruit. That's how it's revealed. The value of which this world cannot see. Let's go to James chapter 3 here. And look here at how James describes the wisdom that is from above. We've been through this a number of times, but again, in this context, it brings more out. We'll read verses 13 through 18. Um, James 3 and verse 13. Oh, I'm in First John. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. There's, there's one of those attributes there that the world would not see as very wise. Oh, he's meek, he's passive, he's being a doormat. Get up, fight for yourself. Meekness does not mean being a doormat. We've talked about this before, how meekness is great strength. Uh, Moses was considered the meekest man on earth as his, at his time. Christ represented meekness very well in his submission to his father and what happened to him. That's great strength. Verse 14. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. These are elements of the fleshly mind, bitter envy and self-seeking. Those who seek to be wise in this age do not seek it for an eternal existence or understanding what God's doing. They're doing this in a competitive way. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I know more than you. Verse verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Demonic. Bitter envy and self-seeking being the drivers. Verse 16, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. That's rapidly becoming a great description of the end time. Uh, Verse 17, but wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without uh, partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The implication here is they do that through the meekness of the wisdom that is from above. How does he describe this? Because this description, brethren, is a sharp contrast from the wisdom of humanity. And it's another one of those things that separates us, defines who we are. Wisdom is pure. This word pure is translated from the Greek word hagnos, H-A-G-N-O-S. It means to be undefiled, innocent, and virtuous. It's actually the root word for it is hagios in the Greek, meaning holy or set apart. God's wisdom is holy. It cannot be mingled. God's wisdom is exceptional. It's unique to him. It is pure. And those who seek it do not mingle it with the opinionated notions of humans, even our own. We have to seek it. We have to desire it. We have to put our experience behind in submission to God's eternal experience. To live it, to understand it. It's first pure. Then peaceful. This is translated from the Greek word irenikos. E-I-R-E-N-I-K-O-S. Irenikos. It means to rest or uh, to be quiet or at calm. 
God's wisdom is settled resolve. It's not just the body resting, it's the heart resting, assured, resolved. It, God's wisdom is never anxious to win its point. It doesn't seek argument, it seeks reconciliation. God's, God's wisdom is next to gentle. Apiacus is the Greek word it's translated from, E-P-I-E-K-E-S. That word means to be appropriate, to be fitting, or to be suitable. God's wisdom patiently seeks the right approach and the right timing out of love. God's wisdom is never impatient, it's never coarse, and it's never argumentative. The next is willing to yield. God's wisdom is willing to yield. doesn't mean it accepts or compromises with sin. It's about discussion of a, of a, a, a concept, an idea, a direction. It's willing to yield. It's compliant. It's easily entreated. God's wisdom listens. And it is open to reason. God invites us to reason with him. It's never egotistical. It's never stubborn. God's wisdom is never insistent, my way or the highway. A second, uh, and this is the sixth one, I think. Without partiality, God's wisdom is just. It, it, it is without biased distinction. God's wisdom thrives on his law of love and liberty, not separate from it. It's guided by his commands, his statutes, and in the weightier matters of his word and law. Um, his law of love and liberty found his wisdom. It never compromises his law for friendships or for alliances. And then lastly, number seven, without hypocrisy. That means unfeigned. It means real. It means sincere. God's wisdom genuinely reflects his perfect nature. It is never double-minded, it is never misleading, and it's never disloyal. That's the wisdom his elect strive for. That's the wisdom that is out of the reach of every other human being on the planet that God has not revealed his wisdom to. We know how far away they are, but we trust in God. He's going to bridge it. Christ is the bridge. These aspects of God's wisdom lie outside the temporary limits of human reasoning and seem ineffective within a world that the ruler of this age has led humanity to construct. Humanity's approach to wisdom will not change until there is a change in their approach to God. That's the choice all of his elective made and are faithfully trying to live by. God's wisdom can only be esteemed and understood within an eternal mindset. The big picture affecting every way we live in this age. It is sought in his every word by those who are led by his eternal spirit to emulate him in spirit and in truth. John 4.4 4. Understanding the mystery of God's wisdom requires that we have his perspective Eternal over temporal, spiritual over physical or carnal, seeing the end from the beginning in his very word led by his spirit. 
We have to heed his instruction when we hear it. Uh, Ted Koppel years ago said that um, God did not give us the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments. We have to heed his instruction. We have to live obeying his revealed word. That requires we study it, that we spend a great deal of time and effort trying to do so. We have to accept the consequences of our free moral agency, good or bad, because that's God's will. And that's how God teaches us through the good and the bad choices that we make in this life. We must always be seeking peace. We must always be seeking love. This is the application of God's wisdom. It's, it, this is what it means to live in his wisdom. In Ephesians 4 and verse 15, I don't think we need to turn there. We've talked about this concept many times of um, truthing, where it says we must speak the truth in love. The word speak is not there in the Greek. What it literally says in the Greek but can't be translated into in the English, truthing in love. Truthing in love. Applying the truth in God's love and growing in his character as a result. What is absent in knowing the truth is fulfilled in those who are lovingly living the truth. Works the same way with wisdom. What is missing in knowing God's wisdom uh, is understood only in those who are faithfully living his wisdom, drawn to it, want to emulate it, want to practice it, want to grow in it, want it to become part of them. For those who don't do this, God's wisdom remains a mystery. For those he has called and elected and is empowering to live faithfully, we have that opportunity and we should treasure it. Many today do not appreciate the wisdom of God and the current temporary physical suffering that humanity is going through and that humanity has caused for itself. It's just too overwhelming even to focus on day to day. And all their efforts to understand and alleviate their condition are made in defiance of who God is, what God wants, and how he will wisely achieve it. But God has revealed his wisdom to those he has called out of this world. I'd like to finish here in Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1, we'll read verses 9 through 28. Colossians 1 and verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his Son, uh, kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Brethren, it is in Christ that we know God, that we know his will, and that we know the wisdom of his plan for us and for all of humanity.